Hey there, this is Pete Townsend from Norio Ventures, and welcome to Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by PAT Fintech, the training partner that demystifies fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. We've got Chris Burge on the show this week, who is a co-founder and CEO of Spark Crowdfunding here in Ireland. Spark is an equity crowdfunding platform helping Irish companies raise new funds from a vast pool of private investors. I first came across Spark when I was working on a crowdfunding platform project last year, and I thought I had it all figured out at that point. What a difference a conversation with the founder of a business makes to how you understand their strategy, though. This may seem obvious, but with any business, there's usually an untold story as to why the founder was determined to get their product to market, and all you got to do is ask. With that, let's spark this one up and get moving with Chris Burge and Spark Crowdfunding, on this week's episode of Money Never Sleeps. Money never sleeps, pal. Here we go again, recording from the home studio with Chris Burge, co-founder and CEO at Spark Crowdfunding in Ireland. Before starting Spark in 2017, Chris had a long career in engineering, operations, and energy, which led him into crowdfunding as it does. With that, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Awesome to have you here. We got Owen here as well. And and when yes. when Owen suggested to me, Chris, that we bring you on, I was waiting with bated breath as I have an insane curiosity about crowdfunding in Ireland. Um, and so, Owen, my, my line better not snap this time like it did a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> better not. In the middle of the interview, um, I caught up with Brian McMahon today from Expert Dojo, who we had a chat with two weeks ago, Chris, and in the middle of that interview, Owen kept it running. It looked like I was off, but to me, I was still on and I was sitting there like, guys, you're not letting me get a word in edgewise. And I'm like, what the hell? And we had turned off the phones to avoid interference. So anyway, long story short. So like I said, very eager to talk to you about this. And I'll tell you why when we kind of get into the, the the main part of the conversation here tonight. And again, for all the listeners, it is 9.07 p.m. The last two times we recorded it was at 9.11 p.m., which is not a good sign. But th- those those chats did go well. So, Chris, again, thanks for coming on. I did a little intro for you there at the beginning. But for all of our listeners, can you please share your backstory and how you got to this point? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, Hi, uh, as you said, I'm an engineer. I, I did my primary degree in engineering and uh, and was a, a, an engineer for most of my career. And um, uh, as time progressed, I uh, you know I moved over here to Ireland as uh, you know twenty odd years ago now. And um, there's not much manufacturing here in Ireland, so I kind of then moved into an operational type of uh, kind of position with a company. And was doing that for um, yeah, five or six years. And I, I never really thought that I was going to progress really in the business. It was a very small business. The, the owner manager um, you know, wasn't going to retire anytime soon. So, so I started looking around as to what else I might be, might be able to do. So I, I actually did a master's in, in energy management. And that took me into the energy field. And so I was an energy consultant for you know, a good uh, five or six years. And yeah, I enjoyed that very much so. But it still wasn't really kind of pushing all my buttons. And in that time, I was kind of you know, looking at, around and you know, the internet was kind of you know, growing and growing and growing. This is kind of in the 
2012 type area. And um, I, I'd done very small amounts of investing you know, earlier on in my career when I had a bit more disposable cash. And I mean very small here, but it was it cost you as much in third party fees, i.e. paying either um, you know, legal fees or any other fees that went along with it as it was to actually put the money in. So when I saw this, the crowdfunding kind of growing in the States and in the UK, I thought, okay, yeah, this is this is going to be this is going to go, and okay. I wondered why, you know, you know, it didn't exist here in Ireland. So um, myself and a, a, a friend of mine, we sat down and went, okay, well, listen, we 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 both kind of were, yeah, as I say, very much part time investors, but nevertheless invested and knew a little bit about it. And we went, okay, well, how does this work? How can we do it? Do we, uh, yeah, and so we we put we put a platform together, and we we uh, uh, three or three years later we we find ourselves sitting here, and that's that's how it started. Wow. Okay, I get that. So you know, just realizing that there was a gap in the market, but also your own personal experience about doing a couple investments, seeing how hard it was, seeing how it was expensive it is to do that. Was there you know putting those two together, the gap in the market, your own personal problem that you wanted to solve. How did you start thinking about, okay, how am I going to get Irish startups really to come onto the platform, right? What was that kind of point of we're, we're going to get this moving? Well, we knew we, what we wanted to do. and But you know, with a two-sided marketplace like this is, and as any other two-sided marketplace, you have to, it's a very difficult way of getting the ball rolling. And, and that, that initial um, inertia or lack of it rather is, is is very difficult so you have to kind of get you know businesses on one side and investors on the other and and you know trying to persuade both of them that you've got enough of the other in order to actually make this successful is is, is a difficult conundrum and but you know we we I, I've been here as I said for 20 years now so I, I had a, a good number of business contacts and many of whom were investors anyway so bringing them on board with the promise that yeah we will have clients at some stage wasn't too difficult to ask and yeah we, we so we did that and we kind of threw our own contact base which is you know fairly fairly substantial both me and, and uh, you know, other people that I knew close by um, who could you know leverage off that get them onto the onto the platform knowing that there would be as i say companies coming along soon enough that would need some investment now not everybody was going to invest in every company of course but nevertheless we built up a, a big enough you know investor base there ready to get the uh, to the, get the companies in and so that's how that's how we got it going really chris did you feel that the market was ready for it you know because i suppose from an irish market point of view it's very i suppose it had been the same for a number of years you know the same kind of funds in the market the same kind of obviously the likes of enterprise ireland providing a certain type of support you had identified a gap which i'm sure lots of people were aware of but did it feel like the companies and the investors were kind of ready to to come on board with us they, they were i mean the banks obviously at this stage were were basket cases as they still are in many cases they just are not lending to the to the young startup companies uh they they wax lyrical about how how good they are and how much money they're they're, they're putting into these companies but re in reality it, it, they're, they're not so we knew that there was a, a problem from that side most of these companies are too small for vcs and so it really was kind of reliant on private equity and yeah of course again because of their their own limited contact base 
yeah, they don't have access into uh, in, you know, to, to all these private equity people or high net worth necessarily. So we knew that there was a, a an area that we could fill that could actually bridge that gap, if you like, and and that's what we found. And so, so yes, it was. We we, we knew that there was a. Well, we, we thought that there was a, a market for us. We that well, we knew that there was a gap. Um, we just had to kind of you know, back ourselves and 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 go for it, and and we did. And and you know, as I say, two years later, two and a half years later, we uh, we were we are where we are, and you know, a, a successful, well, re- relatively successful, you know, young company helping uh, Irish companies get funded. Absolutely. And how maybe maybe talk about that that success piece in terms of where you're at now with you know the number of kind of projects that have been on the platform and the amount of money. Yeah, well, the, the last few months uh, and you know, since kind of COVID, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, really. Yeah, we've um, we've had now uh, I think it's now seventeen companies gone through the the platform, raised well in excess of three and a half million. Probably touching on four million now, and uh, yeah, many companies you know successfully you know gone off and started the first bit of their business with a with a chunk of change in their pocket, ready to uh, to grow the business and to and to grow into new markets and and get some return for the investors who back them as well. And do you see? I I, I kind of commonly use the example on some of the UK platforms of the success of Monzo with crowdfunding. Right, and where I think they raised up to something like ridiculous number of tw- it was twenty million yeah. pounds in two yeah, hours. Twenty million pounds in two hours. I haven't done that much work in two hours in my life. Right, so <laughs> the and what I noticed was that any products that are obviously B two C, like Monzo was a B two C business, Brewdog uh, Brewery in Scotland is a obviously a B two C business. When you have a product that someone can sign up to that someone can make their own create a bit of a fan club there it seems to lead to higher crowdfunding raises and successes have you noticed anything yet so far with the 17 that you've had on the platform on the differences between kind of product-led b2c type businesses or others and what what is what has been more successful well uh, if you look at the campaigns that are live at the moment we've we've got a, a b2c company called moby who have mm-hmm. you know just smashed through six hundred thousand of of a of a raise um, now we're, we're different orders of magnitude here for the for the UK ones, the, the likes of Monzo and Brewdog, of course. But nevertheless, you know, we, we still think that that's an amazing, uh, you know, uh, you know, win for for these guys. So that is a B two C. That's that is a large round. In, in, absolutely, in large absolutely, context. yes, and absolutely. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, we were yeah, we, we were very happy that we've managed to get that, and it's still live and live for another twenty days, I think it is. So uh, so who knows where it's going to get to? Nevertheless, it's uh, it's been well, we're, we're we're very happy with it and. And, and so are Moby, um, and uh, it's been a great uh, success for them so far. Obviously, a B two C company, but we've done plenty of B two Bs in the past as well. Perhaps not to the same level. Well, definitely not to the same level because Moby's the biggest one we've done thus far. But nevertheless, um, of the seventeen, I'd say only I'd say probably only about five or six <laughs> of them have been B two C. So the others have all been B two B, of course, and okay. therefore, yeah, we we've still managed to to raise money successfully for them, and um, and so. Yes, I do see the argument that you know, a B two C like Brewdog will kind of raise you know, way way in excess because uh, lots of small investments from thousands and thousands of investors will get there, and you know you, you'll get a, a large uh, amount of money in, of course. But nevertheless, you know uh, smaller smaller numbers of people, but putting in larger amounts for a B two B, yeah, equally is equally as uh, valid, of course. 
And and do you think then that maybe that highlights because I suppose people would look at crowdfunding maybe and think of the B two C model. It's for customers, you know, people who really support a business. But I suppose maybe what that's showing then is that it's it's the investors who want the return, you know, and they're investing in a solid business. And actually, what the platform is doing is making that easier. And, for yeah, them. absolutely. That and yeah, and the, we we poll, we talk to our investors, yeah, you know, all the time, of course. And yeah, you know, most of those are, are not necessarily want to invest in B two C. There's a good proportion of them that have actually indicated that B two B is their um, uh, preferred you know, investment route. But also, we we've done a couple of private raises as well. When when I say private raises, we where we've put a, a campaign onto the site, but it's been in a private mode, so it's not actually been available to the public as such. And, and the reason they've done that is because they've got their own kind of cohort of investors in the background, and they're just using our platform and our mechanism to corral all of those, you know, maybe okay. 20 or 30 investors into one vehicle. That, and you know, and our and our legal uh, mechanism is very straightforward now, and we've done it now almost twenty times, and it, it works very well. And it's a we, we it's a cookie cutter approach, and it works well for for that type of um, you know corralling of a, a number of investors into into one group. I like that. I like that a lot. And I I think you know point looking at the the size of the Irish population, the size of the Irish market. You've got a lot more diversity here in terms of, you know, compared to in the UK, where the overwhelming part of the UK population are going to be those that would put in, you know, 100 to 200 to 300, 500 maybe. In Ireland, when you are positioning an investments platform and just through the network and the contacts that you have, you're going to be taking in a much wider span of potential investors here. Like you said, someone who just wants to use it to have a home base for their investors on a private raise. Right, I I think that's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that aspect of what you're doing. Just just one point on that though, Pete. Um, yeah, we're not just for Irish investors. We we do have. I mean, uh, it works out to be about eighty one, eighty two percent of them are Irish or residing here in Ireland. At least anyway, we've got about ten percent from the UK, and the other eight percent are literally dotted around the globe. Literally from we had an investment from Taiwan just two days ago. Why from Taiwan? I don't know, and I don't know how they found us because we, we certainly don't do any advertising over there. But um, yeah, that's just yeah the, the word gets okay. out, and uh, you know we, we have investments, and we've had ones from Sweden, from Australia, from Singapore, from Canada, from you know Chile. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a it's a it's a big spread, if you like. Although of course there's only ones and twos of people in those places. And, and does that add some complexity then on the kind of operational side with, with some of those international investors? Not really. We obviously have to do our, our, our KYC on them. Uh, so know your client, know your customer and the anti-money laundering kind of uh, checks that we have to do. But um, yeah, but other than that, no, they just still have to put money into an, our escrow account. And uh, after that, it's fine. They're just another shareholder. They just happen to live in a different country. So there's no further complication for that though so no it's quite simple it's quite straightforward okay. and simple okay one of the reasons that i i was obviously so excited to talk to you about this chris is that last year i got deeply involved into a potential crowdfunding project that never launched and looked uh considerably at um your model right as a foundation for this and as a learning experience and learning exercise and i learned quite a lot about it and you, you you've said it already it's a very straightforward model and i would fully agree it's an incredibly straightforward model so you know very, got very close to it the other piece of it that i got close to was a regulatory side i have regulation in my blood from 25 <laughs> years in the financial services industry and i can't get rid of it no matter how hard i try and 
just noticed that recently the European Parliament announced that it has adopted the European regulation on crowdfunding service providers, at least provisionally, right? It now needs to be adopted after a second reading, published in the official journal, so on and so forth, and we'll go into force 20 days later. We're looking at probably end of 2021 or early 2022. Any thoughts on how this may change your business or impact your business from that point forward? Absolutely. Well, listen, we, we've known this has been coming for, for some mm. time. Uh, and, you know, we've been, you know, keeping a, a very keen eye out on uh, for, for the progress of this. And so, yes, we do think it's going to make a, a difference and a very positive one. I mean, it will put regulation onto the into the market, of course, and it will make um, everybody, you know, a little bit more comfortable with the whole mechanism. I think they can be comfortable as it is now anyway, because we do adopt many of the rules that are uh, already in place for um, uh, that the F- FCA are putting in, into the UK anyway. But nevertheless, um, yeah, to have it here our, in our own territory, absolutely. I think it's it's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to give us another badge of acceptability, and uh, yeah, bring it on. I think we're well, we're certainly ready for it, and I think the market will be ready for it as well. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by PAT FinTech, demystifying fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. PAT FinTech enable financial services professionals to transform their capabilities into the digital age with dedicated virtual training programs geared towards those that can develop, deliver, and monitor optimally customized user experiences balanced by appropriate governance, control, and oversight. To learn more about PAT FinTech, go to moneyneversleeps.ie slash PAT FinTech. Uh, just shifting gears a bit, can you tell us about how the day-to-day life of an energy consultant differs from that of a crowdfunding platform operator, right? It is quite different, as you can imagine. I, I use a lot less maths in my current position than I did in my energy <laughs> management position. Um, yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, I, as a consultant, you were kind of you know dashing from plant A to plant B to commercial building A to commercial building B. And I was literally all over the country. And uh, so I was spending an awful lot of time in the car, uh, you know, going to do audits on various kind of facilities, whether it be down in Ringeskiddy or over in Galway or, you know, or, or over in the IFSC or wherever it happened to be. But also overseas, I, I did quite a bit of work overseas. Um, I, I, I did some work with, it was the UN, so it's a division of the UN mm-hmm. called UNIDO, which is uh, the International Development Organization. So I did some work in uh, Russia and I did some work in West Africa as well, uh, which was very enjoyable to to go and visit these places as well, which was good. But no, very different. I mean, I I, I barely kind of get up from my desk now, which so it's a lot more sedentary, which is not so good on the old waistline. But nevertheless, yeah, it's still very enjoyable. And I, I, I love talking to both the businesses and and the investors as well. Uh, on a regular basis, I still do a lot of that to to see if, how they are and and uh, what we can do for them and how we can create a campaign that will be successful for them and and also to the investors to how uh, you know what they what they can do with their money and how and how we work and how the EWIS all works and, and all of these good things that uh, that we do now. How I suppose to follow on from Pete's question and how do you think your kind of skill set has evolved uh, <laughs> in this role? <laughs> 
Um, well, for energy management or energy consulting, I, I, I only there was only me in the business, so uh, it was um, so that was that was that was easy. Uh, you know, I could control my own time frame, scale, what I how hard I worked or how hard I didn't work, and uh, so I didn't really have to do very much uh, other than kind of look over the finances every once in a while just to make sure bills were being paid and I wasn't kind of spending too much. But now, of course, it's a it's a very different kettle of fish. I've got to, you know, juggle a number of cl- uh, campaigns. I've got to juggle a number of, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of investors ultimately uh, that we need to keep happy. You know, trying to get our webinars up and running and making sure that we are promoting the the companies uh, properly. So it's 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 very different. How did I develop the skill set for it? Well, maybe it was all there under the surface, bubbling underway before I kind of went from my consultancy into into this. But no, I I, I love it. I, it's it's a great. We've got a great team now. But no, it's a it's a it's a different skill set. But uh, uh, yeah, one that I've really embraced and I, I really enjoy it. I'm going to ask you a question that we didn't give you a heads up on advance just because I've been thinking about about this one a lot lately, but the behavioral psychology of B2C, right? Um, which is getting the campaigns out there, the marketing campaigns to bring investors in, right? To make them aware of your platform, to know that you're there, to know that there may be the types of companies that they might like to invest in, or perhaps they've never invested before and they may want to throw in a few hundred, whatever, right? Have How have you thought about that? Right in terms of the user acquisition or the invest—I won't call them investor acquisition because they're not investors yet. When you bring them on, but just getting folks onto your platform to provide an audience um, for the companies that you're running campaigns for. Yeah, we we've got a number of different ways that we do this, but the by far the—I mean, we we obviously are quite proliferate on on uh, our social media. So Twitter, LinkedIn, Leicester, Facebook, and Instagram, but nevertheless, the, Twitter and LinkedIn are are probably primary uh, sources for us. But the best one for us is is PR. You know, getting our names on into a into a newspaper somehow. So we spend an awful lot of time. You know. Um, yeah, writing you know, press releases, um, trying to get journalists to write a bit about us, to go on podcasts, and uh, and to and to get the name Spark out there, and and uh, because yeah, you know, uh, it's amazing that uh, when you when you're in your own business, you your whole world is around Spark and Spark and Spark and Spark, and then you speak to somebody and they go, oh, I've never heard of you. What you do again? And you're thinking, mm-hmm. how on earth do you not know about us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I know. So, uh, so there's many, many people who've never heard of us, and and many who never will. But you know, there's obviously a cohort of people that we want to get in front of, and these are, you know, they're, they're people who've got disposable income. Um, you know, whether that be a hundred euros of disposable income or a hundred thousands worth of disposable income, and we need both. It's, it's we don't just need to kind of have the high net worths. We need to have a whole gambit of them. A because we because of course the companies who are coming to us they want a big spread of uh, of investors they don't want just two high net worths putting putting a, a chunk of money into their company they're coming to us because they want to get their name out because you know if they are b2c then of course that's exactly what they want but even even if they're b2b you know if if um, mrs smith down the road has invested into into a company the b2b company if she's now got skin in the game so she's going to talk to her friends about this service that this this company provides and if that kind of links to somebody who then goes okay yeah i'm actually looking for that service i'm going to so so, so now it's now a, the story has grown and the, uh, the there's somebody else who knows about xyz limited and the services they provide 
And, and that makes Mrs. Smith's investment grow because there's more people now becoming clients. And it's, and it's good for the XYZ Limited as well, because they now have, a, have another client coming in. So it's a win-win from everybody. So, so that's why everybody wants a, a big cohort of investors in there. So as I say, we need everybody. So from the, the person who can put in 100 euros to the person who can put in 100,000 euros. Yeah, that's the power of the network, right? Where you've got, and like you said at the beginning, two-sided network, where you've got investors that if they have a positive experience will spread the word. You will have investors spreading a positive experience about those that they've invested in, right? And that word gets around and they think, well, you know, and, and that picks up and says, well, how do those folks raise money? Really interesting. And, and it's, uh, there's a real science to that. You know, Owen, one of your favorite authors, what's his name? Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yep. That does a lot of writing about these types of things. And it's, it's fascinating to me. And I'm looking at this a lot more these days with uh, some folks challenging me recently to think more about the B2C side than the B2B side that I've historically been uh, engaged with. B2B2C is even harder, right? Because you got to <laughs> solve two problems there. You got to solve the B problem and the C problem. Fun stuff. I, I, I get where you're coming from now and I get the your diverse background doing a lot of different things all the time in your history before Spark and probably not doing too much of the same activity for more than an hour or two at a time, right? And now that you are looking at all these campaigns and trying to help a number of different companies on the same day and jumping around from one to the next, it's kind of a similar pattern there, right? And that it, it, you know, it sounds like it works for you. Can you think about maybe in this, you know, uh, journey over the past three years that you've been running this, can you maybe share a story about who might've been the most helpful person for you on this journey? There's been many, actually. Um, we have a number of advisors that uh, that help that, that have helped me over the time to get get going, but it's it, it, I, and I've taken elements from all of them, and they've all got their own little stories to to tell. I can't think of one that's actually kind of a, a particular story, but but it really is trying to have as many diverse people in the background, kind of you're giving you advice as the time goes on to actually help you. Get overcome the issues that you've got of that particular day, whether that be a fiscal one, whether that be a legal one, whether that just be an organizational one. And having those different people, you know, whispering these things in your ear, or you can bounce ideas off. That's really helped me an awful, awful way along uh, to, to the journey as to where we are now. Do you think then, I suppose, that, that diversity of kind of support and the people you've been working with has that helped? Because whilst you're providing a particular type of service, you're providing it to very different customers you know the, the campaigns for the companies are incredibly different and who their their target maybe investor network is will be very different on any given campaign that you're working on yeah i mean for example i mean the, the one of the ones we well the two that we've got uh, at the moment one is horse pay so um this is the one where it's an equine trading platform where we've got there's also a two-sided marketplace where they've got buyers of horses and sellers of horses and they've got a, they've uh, put up a, a very neat little system to actually have this escrow system is not too dissimilar from our own platform in so much that money gets transferred in it's held in position there until both sides are happy and then it's released but uh so plenty of investors who invest in it thinking this is that's a damn good idea uh, but you know the people who are perhaps uh, are users of this service they are also going oh this is going to be great I, i'm going to be able to buy and sell horses a lot more simply uh, now that I've got this. And so they're investors. So when you're trying to target those people compared to that, to Digitally, Digitally is a B2B SaaS service 
Um, and it's a very different uh, kettle of fish altogether. And so you've probably got many people who are users of the uh, the equine trading one, but very few users of the of the SaaS B two B model uh, for the digitally are offering. And so the the mechanism that you've got to actually try and target those uh, investors and users is very different. And as you're you're right, Owen, it's you know you're 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 creating a very diverse set of mechanisms to to target those two different uh, groups as well. When you think about the future and what's coming down the road now, what excites you about that? We've only just scratched the surface, really have. I mean, of, of all investment that goes into uh, into startup companies, uh, 99% of it has been done by VCs at the moment and, and uh, you know, it was not by crowdfunding anyway. So we've got a tiny, tiny amount that uh, is is there, and you know we've got a, 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 an absolute you know open playing field to 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 help young startup companies to to get investment into them at the moment. So so that really excites me. You know we've we've uh, we've got a, a, a very strong mechan- uh, you know, uh, environment at, for startup companies in this country. Enterprise Island does an amazing job, you know, getting them to uh, a level. But of course they need. They need match funding. They need co-funding, um, and if the banks aren't doing it, and if uh, yeah, and and if uh, VCs are not doing it, particularly at the moment where they they've really circled the wagons to try and look after their own portfolio, uh, and not bring in new new uh, new companies in, or not very many at the moment, at least, yeah, then then we are we're one of the other alternatives, and um, and we 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 see a a big wide open playing field there, and there's there's many many. Uh, more opportunities for us to to help those companies, and that's what we intend to do. And, and can I ask, what do you think? Because you were talking about obviously the the growth and uh, since COVID has kicked in, what is your view on has what's been driving that? Whereas, because a lot of the, what you would hear in the market is, I suppose that uh, angel investment has dried up a bit, and the number of deals are down because people are obviously minding their money or dealing with their own issues. But yet, on the other hand, it looks like obviously through the platform and, and the campaigns you're working on that you know that. That kind of goes counter to what everything else is being said. We've we've tried to look into this, you know, quite a lot over the last eight months or so uh, to try and find what what is why why is this happening, and we we thought that you know well people have got a bit more time, well even quite a lot more time now, so they're, they're probably not commuting for their hour in the morning and the hour in the evening, so they've got an extra two hours of the day. That's one thing. Two, they're not going on holiday. They're not going out to restaurants, and so they they they're not spending that money. So if you if you've got a steady job, uh, you're working from home. You've got a, a bit of income, or still a, a a good income coming into the house. You, you you're not spending as much. So they they've got people. There's a lot of disposable income out there for if you've got a, a safe job. And as I say, time is kind of on people's hands now as well. So we're finding, we think at least, and this is this is certainly true for the people that we've spoken to about this, that no, they've they've they they like the idea that they can do this all online. They like the idea that investors don't actually have to pay a fee on this. Um, they've got more time, they've got more money, and they they can sit down and watch a webinar about um, you know one of the companies for thirty minutes uh, during their lunch hour, um, and it's very very easy before. Before we used to have, before COVID, we used, we didn't do webinars or we did one or two, but not, nothing too too much. So we used to have an evening um, every month or every month and a half or so, uh, and we used to take a room in the Fitzwilliam on Stevens Green, and we'd invite uh, a load of investors along to hear three pitches, four pitches uh, for the evening. 
And of course, you know, by the time you've actually got in there, had a glass of wine, said hello to a few people, sat down and listened to the pitches for an hour, an hour and a half, gone back home, you, you've, you've, it's three or probably even, possibly even four hours of an evening. The whole evening's gone. Whereas, whereas now you can still do that same exercise, okay, virtually. So it's not, you still don't get the, the, the full experience, I suppose. But you can still do that in a in a lunch hour or or just soon after work, mm. and it's and it's very very easy to, to to do that. And so we find, I think we found that that is partly the reason why we've had the success that we have over the last uh, six or eight months. Yeah, I really like that, and I say that to a lot of the founders I work with is that use the medium, right? When you are at home doing your pitch, you can plaster all your notes up on the wall. Or have it up on a screen above and arrange your screens just so. So it looks like you are making eye contact with a camera, but you're actually reading a script. And you can practice that as much as you want and get your slide work just right. And then for Spark, all of that is imminently reusable. Like you said, it's anytime, any place that they can watch these videos. And what struck me when you just said that was that at, at lunchtime, watching a video for a half hour to learn about this business and really understand the founder and where they're coming from. That's a big plus, right? And um, having that be your go-to, that getting it right in the virtual medium means that we, when we can go back to in-person, you always got the virtual, not as a backup, but as a nice complement to all that. And maybe you never go back to in-person again, just because you found that the virtual is more effective. And I think it will be complimentary. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it is still nice to go and shake someone's hand and and, and look them directly mm. in the eye and and and, and get a, an insight into who they are like that. But nevertheless, it is very handy to have that video played back as well. Uh, you know, when you're uh, you know eating your sandwich at your desk, um, uh, when you've got a little bit of uh, time, or or maybe it, just after the weather in the evening, you just go, okay, right, okay, what 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 happened today on on that webinar that I missed, and replay it back again yep. and uh having that ability i think is is going to be uh yeah something that we we don't want to lose i think as well yeah we want the, the nice softer side of things where we are meeting people again but i think the, the virtual thing will will still continue to a to a, to a degree at least yep and i i kind of see you know a, a case study here for one of the startups that i'm working with you know they're developing a b2b2c product they have no connections whatsoever with angel investors they have a 300k round that they're looking to raise really wouldn't have much interest from any of the VCs in Ireland because it's way too early. No one wants to do a 300k seed round. They're signed up with EI. You know, they'll package up a nice little 600k pre-seed round. You know, if they can piece all this together properly um, with the match funding, but they really have nowhere to go. And you know where their first pitch was? Some angel group in California, right? <laughs> It's like, it shouldn't have to be that way. So let's get them over to you, right? Mm -hmm. Owen, we're, yes. we're at this point in time of the evening. Uh, we're your favorite my question. Favorite, my favorite question. Uh, Chris, tell us something that people wouldn't expect to know about you. I, I really had to scratch my head about this and uh, kind of what was uh, I could say. Um, but but uh, I moved over here. I told I obviously from Britain, and you, you can tell that from my accent, I'm sure. Even you can, beat. can you? No, can you not? not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I, the, well, how I got here uh, is is slightly interesting, I suppose. Um, it was a, uh, a, I was in my late twenties um, when I uh, when I came over 
uh, on a stag weekend, actually. Um, and so we, uh, we we piled over here. And stag weekends in Dublin were quite a, a, a regular occurrence, I'm sure, and a, to the bane of most people here in, in <laughs> Ireland, I'm sure, at that time. And uh, and we were in Dawson Street, and we were actually in Café on Seine, the original Café on Seine, before it changed, because it shut down for a number of years uh, in the early noughties. Uh, for a refurb, but anyway, it was, uh, we were in there, and uh, that is where I met my wife. And my wife will, you know, not particularly uh, be very happy that, uh, <laughs> that now the world the knows story. that we met on a, that that's we met where you on met a stag weekend. That's a, that's a little quirk, uh, yeah, that uh, that I can kind of share with you. But uh, yeah, so not many people know that. That's awesome. No, no better place. No better place. <laughs> I, I, I was I was in there a few years ago in the middle of having our house renovated. Um, or we were building an extension out the back and, and was out for some reason, I think with my brother-in-law, we were out for a night before Christmas or something like that, uh, in Cafe Anzen and, uh, saw my builder in there and I'm like, <laughs> we had just gone through these heated arguments about delays and all this other stuff. And, you know, within a few minutes we were just hugging. Exactly. And it was like, you know, just, just hug it out. Right. And, and every, everything goes water under the bridge in Cafe Anzen. Right? Absolutely. Uh, so good times, good times. <laughs> all right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. This yes, has been awesome. Thank you very much. Nice really to talk to you both, it. guys. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much indeed. That does it for this week, folks. And thanks to Chris for opening up his mind to help us figure out why he does what he does. Links and show notes for this episode are on moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Also, you can subscribe to our Money Never Sleeps newsletter at moneyneversleeps.substack.com. If you're enjoying Money Never Sleeps and want to see it continue, Make sure you hop on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Don't forget Conan Brophy from Create Sound. He mixes and edits each episode for us and is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I help startups get their products to market, get customers, and finance their vision. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or at norioventures.com, and you can follow Owen Fitzgerald on Twitter at owenfitzgerald9. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya! Money never sleeps, pal.